Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I'm Nicole Abshire. And if this is the first time that you've ever found us, thank you for being here. This is a show where we demystify Texas politics. And currently, we are talking about the impeachment trial of the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. It has been quite drama-filled. We thought that this would be a useful, I guess, little series to bring to everyone because it's a complicated, messy trial. And even Nicole and I, as we're taking on the challenge of understanding it, are like, whoa, there's a lot of people. This is like a telenovela. So we're going to do our best to break it down and make it accessible so you understand what's going on. Yes. What are the stakes, right? It is It is so historical. Um, and it, to correct the record, because, you know, we like to do that when we know that we say something that's slightly off. I think in maybe our the first episode that we did about the impeachment trial, I think we said that the last time that there was an impeachment trial was like over 100 years ago. And I think the first one was, but the second one was in the 70s. So a little bit sooner, but still, it has been a long time. And the point remains the same, which is that this is a very rare thing that happens in the state of Texas. And so this is big time history that we're witnessing. Yes. And while we're on corrections, let's make one more really quickly. So I had heard in an interview that this trial was supposed to last four to six weeks That's a while for the uh, state senators to be called back to the Capitol to work on this. Well, maybe it could still last that long. But we learned this week that Dan Patrick, who is the lieutenant governor, he's the one who's presiding over this trial. He is now anticipating that the testimony is going to be done Thursday, maybe Friday. And then after that, they're going to deliberate go back, look at each particular article of impeachment. There's 16 of those. So maybe that could take a couple of weeks, but it it sounds like it might happen a lot faster than we initially thought. A quick programming note, we are recording this September 12th in the evening. So we've seen all of day six of testimony. I think we're on day six. So when you're listening to this Thursday, we might miss some things that are going to happen tomorrow. Uh, But we're going to share as much as we know. And, you know, we've we've teased this on other shows, but we're working on another podcast, which is sort of taking the front seat. It's like the new child that's getting all the attention. But we don't want to let this one go because this is an important show. So we're here. We're just, you know, having to plan a little differently, having to adjust our lives is what happens when you have a new child. (laughs) (laughs) We have plenty to talk about for tonight, but I have a feeling that plenty more is going to happen in the next couple of days. I mean, my goodness. It's full of little tidbits. No, big tidbits. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah. So so onward with the trial. Okay, so for those of you who are like, what is this trial about? Let's give you a quick little recap. So 
Ken Paxton is our attorney general here in Texas. He is the state's law enforcer. He is like the state's attorney. So it's kind of a big deal that he has already been impeached by the House, the Texas House of Representatives. They have found him guilty of some things. And now the Senate is deciding. Well, do we want to be technical about this? Yes, let's be technical. (laughs) I'm like, oh, some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all I mean is that if we use it in terms of, you know, again, I'm going to use TV references. But if we think about any sort of law shows that we've watched, the House acted as the grand jury. So what they did was listen to the articles of impeachment and decided if there was enough to bring those charges to trial, which is what's happening in the Senate. So they didn't find him guilty yet, but they believe that there's enough evidence, that there's enough information that the Senate should take a deeper look. Thank you, Nicole. But he has been impeached. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the Senate is deciding if they're going to convict him of these charges. If they're going to convict him, which would remove him from office. And then they're also going to decide if he will ever be allowed to run for office again in Texas. So they have some really important work to do right now. They're hearing testimony and deciding is a testimony credible. Is there enough evidence for us to convict him? Um, So that's what we're at. And another little summary of kind of what the overview of this case is about is Ken Paxton he's friends he's like business associates with this guy Nate Paul he is this business real estate developer I think out of Austin and the to distill it to like its simplest terms folks are saying that Nate Paul gave Ken Paxton favors like home renovations and helped give his girlfriend a job in exchange for Ken Paxton's support with the attorney general's office so kind of a tit for tat and that's an abuse of the office which is a real problem so that's where we're at nicole tell us about some of the witnesses okay so i did i did make a list of who we've heard from since the last time we did one of these recaps and we heard from ryan bangert who was a first deputy assistant Uh, We heard from Ryan Vassar, who was also a deputy attorney general. We heard one of the most colorful people. We heard from David Maxwell, who is a former Texas Ranger, who is just widely, deeply respected um, all across the Capitol. We heard from Mark Penley, who is another really admired man who was a deputy attorney general for criminal justice. We heard from Missy Carey, who was... Paxton's chief of staff. We heard from Greg Cox, who was the Travis, he's part of the Travis County DA's office at that time. And what he was really testifying about was the potential criminality of the charges. We heard from this one felt big because we've heard his name so much. Brandon Kamick, who was the outside counsel who was hired by Paxton. We heard from Joe Brown, who is a former U.S. attorney. We heard from Kendall Garrison, who was the CEO of the um, Amplified Credit Union, which is where some subpoenas were served. And we heard from Darren McCarty, who was a former deputy attorney general for civil litigation. And he spoke mostly about the Mitty Foundation and all of those charges. 
Yeah, that was, that was a list. great list. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of folks who have testified recently. And I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, Nicole, that all of these folks are Republicans, that they're conservative, that they are they're very serious people is like the impression I get like they're not here to mess around they go to work they do their job they're civil servant I think most of them I mean some of them aren't civil servants like Kendall Garrison the president of an Amplify credit union but the point is that these are folks who do their job so there's this narrative being spun that these are Republicans in name only that this is a witch hunt that it's um what are some of the other things that they're saying? That it's, it's an, uh, it was a mutiny within the office, that these these people got together uh, to usurp General Paxton's power. Um, yes, but time and time again, each person has been shown to be really loyal, very dedicated to conservative and Republican ideals. All of them, as they began working in the office, deeply admired Paxton and what he was doing with the attorney general's office. I mean, I would say the only person who sort of doesn't fit that mold is, as you just said, but Kendall Garrison from, you know, the credit union. Um, But his role, of course, in this trial is completely different than the other folks. These are the people who were working with him on a day-to-day basis. Um, And maybe one other distinction I can make is that Joe Brown, who was the former U.S. attorney, he, he did meet Ken Paxton, but he didn't actually work in the office. And his role, what his testimony was designed to show is that he was a former U.S. attorney who was Trump appointed. He had left civil service and had started his own law firm. Paxton talked to him about playing the role that Brandon Kamick wound up playing. And that's important because one one of the many things that has been said about Brandon Kamek is that he was not experienced. He had only been practicing for five years. He's this young guy who was never a prosecutor. So a lot of the things that he was doing and was asked to do were outside of the purview of his experience. But so what Joe Brown showed was that they did have a qualified candidate who wanted the job. Joe Brown testified that he drove to Austin, he met up with Ken Paxton, he of course shared all of his, you know, many qualifications for the job. He was willing to get insurance if that was needed for him to be able to take the job. They had discussed the hourly rate. He was perfectly fine with that. In fact, even said that that was sort of the least important part of it all for him. But essentially, he just stopped hearing from them. But he had gotten in touch with them to check in again because, again, he was interested in the job. So what that really is designed to highlight is that it is a question about why Brandon Kamek then was the person who was chosen when someone who was so experienced, who understood how to you know write subpoenas, who understood what prosecutorial processes are like, why he was passed over for someone who is considerably less experienced. Okay, my understanding of Brandon Kamick and his role was that he was hired as a special prosecutor and his role was to look into banks and state agencies that were going after Nate Paul. So he was there to back up Nate Paul, offer protection it almost seems like, which is 
odd because this is like one particular individual. Why is the attorney general's office getting involved? And as a reminder, this is a state agency that taxpayers are paying for. So it's like, does this have anything to do with the state of Texas, with Texans? It's a very, it's an individual person. So it scratches, it makes me scratch my head. Why did they need a special prosecutor? Another part of that that we have to bring up is Brandon Kamick was hired because the people who were already in the attorney general's office, again, people who were so qualified, so dedicated to the office, were refusing to do this work because they knew that it was improper. And they were trying to warn the attorney general that this was improper, that it could get him in trouble. And they began to fear what could be underneath in terms of like why he was pursuing this case when there were so many conflicts of interest and it was so, again, improper. So he'd already tried to get people within the office to take the job. They wouldn't. And that is why he hired Brandon Kamick. Yes. Thank you for adding that distinction. And I just think like, this is the attorney general's office, but this is like our office, so to speak, you know, our in the sense of like us as Texans, like our money that we send to the state goes to pay for this institution. We're learning that folks who worked in the office who are paid to do jobs like this, I suppose, were like, nah, that's a little like beyond my scope. And then we are paying for additional support. Like, that's frustrating. It's there's there's so many little pieces of it right i mean side note because i i would imagine somebody out there if they're watching all of this too would take issue with this but just a little side note brandon kemick was never paid which is another both i mean it's a, it is a little sad if if you you know watch his testimony he he did put in work he did put in effort and he has never been paid for that right he because they stiffed him right that was his testimony yes well it's it there's all these procedures right so because this is a state office general paxton he does have a lot of power there is no doubt but there is a procedural process for getting outside counsel funds approved the people who needed to sign off along with attorney general paxton again refused to because this was all improper in their view it didn't fit within the scope of the work that they should be doing in that office and so because that procedural process didn't happen the way that it needed to he couldn't be paid there were no funds delegated to pay for his to for his work and by the way i mean this is going to be one of those like the little you know, memeable things that come out of this case. So when he was finally let go or told, he came to Austin. They, he was expecting to meet in the office to talk about progress or everything that was happening. Immediately, they don't take him into the office and they take him to Starbucks, which he said immediately he knew, uh oh, something's not good because this feels very unprofessional. So they essentially tell him he's fired at Starbucks, isn't going to get paid. And then they just leave. And poor guy even has to say, um, excuse me, could I get a ride back to my car? Because they had driven him to that Starbucks. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. Something I keep thinking. Okay, they're deciding, you know, has what Ken Paxton done criminal, 
right? But I'm just like, he just sounds like a bad boss, <laughs> you know? But the thing is, he's an elected official. So the only way for him to not be that boss is for people to not vote for him. So food for thought <laughs> for future elections. Yes. Well, I mean, and it's wild, too, that part of his defense is that he was reelected while under indictment. So we as voters knew <laughs> of I, I knew that he had trouble with the law. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, this isn't something that we ought to be revisiting because we essentially knew this. Obviously, the depths of what has happened, we had no idea. Also, some of this occurred after the election. So that is just simply not true. But also, that's a pretty wild defense. You already knew yeah. he was a criminal. So you're stuck with him. Like what? Right. Or a potential and, and, criminal. Let me be fair. Well, and just like the way elections are in Texas, as we learned previously and go behind the ballot, uh, the attorney general is also part of making it harder for people to vote You know, the attorney general's office. So it's like, OK, sure, like a sliver of folks voted for you and you're in charge of the whole state. But to act like, oh, like the people love me. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> Sure. Sure, Jan. <laughs> okay, okay, moving on. So let's talk about um, Ken Paxton's chief of staff. An inter- interesting little fact that I learned was that she is the first woman who has ever had that position, being a chief of staff to the attorney general. And I learned her full name. Well, her it's Catherine Missy Carey, but she goes by Missy Carey. So, oh, Missy Carey. I mean, Tell us a little bit about her testimony. Doesn't your heart just go yeah. out to these folks? I, she is a very straight, I found her to be a very straightforward witness. She is not prone to flowery language or to any sort of pearl clenching. She's very, she's a very straightforward woman. And that being said, I felt her discomfort from my living room watching her on the live stream. It felt like, well, and she even admitted it when she was cross-examined that that was not where she wanted to be. But of course, she was doing what she felt needed to be done. She's just, she's like, well, like everybody basically that worked in the office, very driven by the role that she played within the office from everything she said, knew her role very well. I mean, anytime any sort of governing, I don't, I don't think they were called statutes. I honestly can't remember what they were called, but she would tell you the number. She would be like, oh, that is code. Mm. Oh, codes, I think. That's code 1.235. And what that says is, and she could tell you what it was. I mean, this woman knew her job. And you could tell that she was deeply concerned for Attorney General Paxton. And again, like so many of the others of them, wanted to protect him. That was her number one hope, just like everyone else. They really and truly wanted to protect him and believed that he was in danger in some ways, that he was endangering his position and the office and that it must be because of something outside of what they understood like blackmail. And that was the reason why he was doing these things. Yeah, I think part of that 
black male component was that she testified she was out to lunch somewhere in Austin and she was eating by herself at this place, Galaxy Cafe, and she overheard someone talking about the attorney general's office, which she comes to find out it's Ken Paxton's girlfriend, the woman he was having an affair with. She later finds out her name is Laura Olson. And that's kind of wrapped up in that blackmail component. Like this woman is just like speaking so loudly that she, she ha- it just so happens the chief of staff of his office hears her conversation. Like who else could be hearing this conversation? That is. I mean, frankly, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so strange to say, but lucky that it was her, that it was somebody who had his best interests at heart. And so what she did, by the way, was she took a picture of her. And then just sort of sat and watched so that she would be able to go back and share what had happened with Attorney General Paxton and share her concerns and warn him. Again, protection being the the top of her priorities for how to share that information. But he said that that was his real estate agent and that he would talk with her. That was what he said at that point. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it comes out, you know, this is his girlfriend so we were saying in earlier episodes that it's there was the alleged girlfriend, mistress. We weren't really sure. Well, he confessed that this he confessed to the affair. So we can say because of what he said that this is his girlfriend. And um, trying to think what else about her. She well, I mean, maybe the relevance of it, right? I mean, because it does just sound salacious and it just sounds like a soap opera. And so why does it matter? But it does it does matter, right? He well, first of all, he was using office resources to make meeting up with her easier. One one of the things that Missy Carey spoke about was that she was getting a lot of feedback from staff that they were struggling because hours were long, they were inconsistent, they were late. There were there were all kinds of things that were making their jobs difficult. And the reason why was because they were essentially facilitating this affair, late night meetups, taking him places, and it was disturbing to staff members. So it did affect the office. So it is relevant. Also, he involved the office. He wound up confessing it to people who were on his staff and, and repenting. But I, I mean, I just, I cannot imagine a more uncomfortable position to be in than to have to hear such personal details of your boss's life through no fault of your own. None of them asked to be put in the middle of this situation, but they were put in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. Like not only is she having to hear, she's having to, like you're saying, she's having to hear people complaining about this affair and it's like, oh my God, like, can I just do my job? Again, bad to the bad, back to the bad boss. Well, and then she had to have a very serious talk with him. And she's his employee. Like, she's... Bo- ah, like, he should be the grown... All these people who are testifying, to me, come across as serious people, grown-ups, and yet it's like they're, like, keeping... They're the ones having to have, like, serious conversations with him. That's just, like, a strange flip of power That that's... Very uncomfortable situations these poor people are, are having to encounter. Well, you're so right. Like, the irony of it which is that, yes, they are having to remind him of his role, and yet he seems to also demand to be the top dog and in total authority and power. So it's such a strange dynamic. Right. 
Yes. And I guess with that, maybe we should pivot to Mark Penley, who was a whistleblower. And he tried to warn Paxton about his connections with Paul. Like we were saying, like the staff members were like, be careful. And he was fired. So they're trying to do their jobs. They're acting, you know, very delicately, warning their boss, raising their concerns. And how are they treated? They're fired. Yes. And just for the record, too, for folks who don't know, there were four people in that whistleblower lawsuit. And they were Blake Brickman, who we haven't heard from, Ryan Vassar, Mark Penley, and David Maxwell. If you remember, he's the Texas Ranger. Who was also fired. Obviously fired. We're talking about the whistleblowers. But yeah, that sounded like it was hard on all of them. Ryan Vassar, in fact got very emotional and tearful on the stand. Not so, I mean, somewhat about his firing, but I think more so about having to testify or feeling drawn to testify. He talked about how it mattered to him because he wants his children to see him doing something that he feels like matters and is, is truthful. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a person with integrity to me and I mean, as I watch this and get my recaps on the trial, I find these people very credible, but it's not up to like me or you, Nicole, or Texans. It's up to the 31 senators. How are they going to decide what his fate will be? And and it's going to take 21 people to convict him. Two-thirds majority. That's a lot of people that they have to convince it's a lot of people, especially when we are out here as observers, hearing the testimony, watching this all unfold, but we're not politicians, right? So our calculus yeah. is so much different than the folks that are sitting in that room. So they're hopefully listening and hopefully listening with impartial ears, but they're also thinking about their political future. They're thinking about their districts. They're thinking about their colleagues. They're thinking like their interests are not the same as ours. And so that's why I have really tried to, you know, kind of coach myself to remember that it isn't just about the evidence and the testimony that they're hearing in that room. It is also, they're doing a lot of other calculations to figure out what their ultimate vote is going to be so I'm not counting on anything is really what I'm getting at I would hope that they would look at this based on its merits and not be affected by outside forces however yeah they're politicians they're gonna have to fundraise they're gonna want most of them I'm assuming want to stay in office takes a lot of money who's gonna give them money probably people that support Paxton because that side has a lot of money. Ferris Wilkes, Tim Dunn, the PACs We're learning that they more, <laughs> more billionaires' names. More yeah. billionaires' names. It's a long list. So, yep. Yeah. I, and just to throw out there, because I, I know it sounds like we clearly have an opinion, or I, I'll take ownership of my opinion. I have my an opinion, opinion is definitely he's a bad boss. I know that. <laughs> I'll say that. I think that, you know, I, of course, I can't name all the articles of impeachment. I know generally what, what they are saying, which is that he misused his office. He improperly used his office. I think it's pretty clear that I, so far, am convinced. I mean, I can't imagine that there's going to be some testimony or evidence presented in the next couple of days that, that can sway me in the other direction. But I also, I, you know, I want to be clear that I, when you listen to these folks testify, 
they are so credible. They are so credible. There is nothing in their history, their demeanor. There's nothing that, that makes me think anything other than that they are telling the truth. The other part of this for me is that if, if Ken Paxton is innocent, then what that means is a huge conspiracy and a huge coordinated conspiracy among all these people that we've heard from. And they're not the only people that be like, we haven't even, like I said, heard from Blake Brickman, who was part of the whistleblower lawsuit. There's plenty of other people that we haven't heard from who have provided testimony, who are part of the record of all of this. So all of those people, along with judges, um, along with law enforcement, right? David Maxwell and folks in, in, in that camp, all of these people all have it out for Ken Paxton. He's alone on this Island as the lone innocent person. And all of these people have coordinated this grand conspiracy to get him out of office. It just doesn't make any rational sense to me. And for what, what would they gain from that? Most of them, you can tell, are heartbroken that somebody who they looked up to and who they viewed as a hero was not that and and turned out to create a workplace that was very difficult. You know, some of them are looked at as rhinos, you know, Republicans in name only, which to them is a terrible thing to be called. Um, A lot of public pushback and they're known for things that they'd probably never want to be known for or even known at all. I mean, some of them I think are happy to be behind the scenes doing super conservative work. And so for what, what would they gain from this, this trial? I cannot think of a thing. And so for me, it just points to his guilt. Yes. And it is, and it's a good reminder. These people are sworn to tell the truth under oath. So yeah, like you're saying, Nicole, that's a lot of people who would be lying. People who seem to have integrity and are there to do the job. So yeah, and the same story. Up. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not finding inconsistencies among their testimony. Yeah. It, Yes. Uh, One more thing I want to throw out. Well, two more things. So Kendall Garrison, the president of Amplify Credit Union, um, he was there because he said that the credit union was foreclosing on one of Nate Paul's properties for non-payment. He wasn't paying his bills. And Paul was saying that it was a conspiracy. The other thing I'll throw out there is regarding, you know, when the testimony wraps and the senators deliberate. We've talked about Angela Paxton a few times. She is Ken Paxton's wife. If you haven't heard that before, wow, crazy. <laughs> uh, she is not going to be voting uh, at all, and she will not be a part of the negotiations that happen. So when the testimony ends, her job is done. I was telling Nicole this earlier. I was reading this Texas Tribune article that had come out before the trial started and they were like, wow, it's going to be really awkward when Angela Paxton's in the trial and Ken Paxton's there too. Well, he hasn't been there, folks. He was there the first half of the first day and then he's been gone to an undisclosed location. No one really knows where he's at. So she's there, but he's not. And (laughs) Ken talking about, you know, the testimony and these witnesses, Testifying to tell the truth, 
Ken Paxton could tell his story if he wanted to, but he is choosing not to. But we will be following this and bringing out more information and just, yeah, it's it's something. I mean, just when you think it's going to calm down, there's a little another little tidbit that is like something to grab onto and keep it interesting. I will forever think of poor Brandon Kamek at Starbucks going, wait, can I get a ride in my car? For real. Who does that? I mean. <laughs> uh, well, uh, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at gobehindtheballot.com. We send out really great snippets, summaries of our episodes, and it's just a nice way to know what's happening quickly. So we think you'd get a lot of value from that. And of course, if you like the show, Subscribe, like, leave a review, share with a friend. We appreciate all of it. And we're going to leave it there. We will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.